Today's reading is Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. It can be found on page 934 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as up on the screen. This is God's word. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Our God, as we enter this space, we come from different places and experiences. There is a heaviness in this city. Many of us have entered into that this week. There is a heaviness in this um, nation. Many of us have entered into that. And yesterday and the day before and the day before were days of a variety of marches. And it's interesting that today we read about the scripture text chosen for, for us is of Jesus leading a kind of march from Bethpage to Jerusalem. Emotions um, are all over the place. Um, as we, I know just myself, just entering into the, uh, just the, the all too familiar, unfortunately, tragically familiar horror a video being released of a, a young black man in our community getting shot and being able to think of a hundred ways as to how that might have been able to be avoided. And there's just, you know, the, in this city, um, we just find that the emotions and the anger over the injustice, over the repetition of this all too familiar occurrence are just overflowing into the streets. So God, as we come with, um, we, we come with these kind of lack of answers and all kinds of agitation and, and the swirling emotions 
and opinions that won't all be the same in this room this morning on any of the events of the day. Um, as we come to this place, we acknowledge and we have to let your story define us as we enter this room and remind us that we are all in the same place. We're more of a mess than we care to admit. All of us is in need of your grace. Every second. And would you, as we now open our minds, or at least attempt to open our hearts and minds and souls to your words, would you remind us and sing to us, because some of us don't feel like singing this morning, would you sing to us a message of hope, a message of that you get it, and that you enter in because we know your story says you have entered in to injustice. And that you provide some kind of way for us to come with you through it. Would you remind us that even though we're more than a mess than we care to admit, that we are all more loved and accepted in Christ and in through what Christ has done in Holy Week than we ever imagined. And may we hold that, those truths together as we walk out this door, overflowing with grace as we go out into this world. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, so this passage is a little tricky. See, I don't even have, it's tricky enough when you don't have the right page open. No, I got, it's okay. Thank you. Thank you. No, I just had it open to John chapter 2 for some reason. Okay, there we go. Mark chapter 11. So I want to start with something very different. I work with um, people who are church planters in our region of churches. Church planting, that's what I did when my wife and I started meetings in our living room to start City Life Church. You're starting a, a new church. So I get to work and become friends with some of these other people who are doing this throughout the region. And um, one of them who is doing this in the Central Valley, his name is Zeke. He's since moved away to Belgium. But Zeke has a sense of humor as do I, and Zeke started this um, tradition at one point where he would, he would send, out a, send a prank email from a made-up email address to a new church planter, and it would embody a persona of someone that if you're, if you're starting a church and imagining getting a group of people together, the email would paint this picture of a persona that you just would be terrified that they would actually show up at your meeting. <laughs> Except that the email, the whole point of the email is this person is very excited to come to your meeting. <laughs> and so, you know, church planting, you got to have fun at some point in, in this. And so this was Zeke's way, and he was so good at creating these personalities. So um, for our friend Martin, who is starting this church in Weston Ranch, which is kind of a rough neighborhood in between Stockton and Manteca, a neglected neighborhood, and Martin had a rough background. Martin's really good for this neighborhood. He's still there working hard, ministering in Weston Ranch. So uh, several years ago, this was the email that Zeke sent, and I got to help him a little bit on this email, um, to our friend Martin. What up, bro, Pastor Martin? This is white chocolate. I'm, <laughs> I'm the Eminem of gospel rap. I got me some sick rhymes about the Lord. Every time he says sick, it's all capital letters. I'd be throwing down some fat lyrics about JC. One of my homies in Weston Ranch told me about your picnic things, and so I'm planning to come and bring some peeps and rap for you all about the grace of God. 
I'll bring the system, just take an offering for me, okay, bro? This is from my breakout album, Too Legit to Sin. I'll do, this, I'll do this one at the barbecue church. I did this one, one time in Fresno and some bulldogs and TRG thought it was sick, bro. Um, everyone likes my lines. Busters, chaps, ABs, everyone. Met some guy with a beard who said you was cooking ribs or something like a couple of weeks. I'll come again for that. I love me a good rack of ribs. All right, my mom keeps telling me to mow the lawn. Peace. <laughs> see, you, see you at your next picnic, white chocolate. And, um, and part of the, the header is um, the, the actual name of white chocolate is Hunter O'Donnell, which is um, just kind of adding to the persona. And so here's the, here's the lines of rhymes that, that tried to make it look like this guy was legit with his raps at the bottom. He says, it sounds a lot better when I rap it, bro, but I want you to see what I can do. He says, I'm coming right at you with a thousand bars, straight rapping in your face, speaking from my scars. You think you're hard, fast, and furious with roots like trees and all your homies complimenting you, you got mad steez. But let me tell you what you're lacking, put it in your face. You've bit the apple, shame has hit you, and you need God's grace. You treat God's daughters like slaves, you give his sons early graves, pump THC in your veins, stealing kids for your gangs. No mother love and thought for all the wreckage you've made. But every, every day you gotta run to stay ahead of the blade. You laugh at God like he's your dentist saying to remember to floss. Dude, he's the Lord of all creation and he died on the cross. That's my, that's my favorite part right there. <laughs> Rhyming floss and cross. <laughs> Take it from the WC because I've seen where you've been and JC has shown his light to me to turn me from sin. You can do the same, bro. Just man up to your pride and cruise with Christ in your life an unbelievable ride. White, cho white chocolate, yes. White chocolate. Oh, and you know what? So this fictitious, so this, and this is what, what um, cut straight to Zeke and I when we saw this reply. This is Martin's reply. This is amazing. What up, white chocolate? I'm glad you want to come and be part of the barbecue. But how about you come and just hang out with us? You don't have to rap or anything. We just want to get to know you. I promise you'll get to rap sometime, but I can't promise an offering. We don't even take one for the barbecue. The barbecue isn't a church service. It's just a community gathering. Please know that I'm excited to, meet you, to get to meet you and your homies. We tell everyone, bring a chair and something to share. If you want, to tell me more about, if you want, tell me more about you. Know that I'm praying for you and your ministry. Grace and peace, Reverend Martin Cisneros. I mean, what a guy. But of course, Zeke had to carry it on and keep stringing him along with, with uh, more follow-up emails after that. So, I bring that up because not only is it funny, but it's, it's funny because um, you start to realize when you have a church email address that, that it's actually it's funny because things like that happen. You, weird emails come. Strange things happen in the world of church. They just do, as they probably do in most realms. Bizarre things happen in the realm of church. They're not always funny. Too often they're painful. Um, people sitting here this morning have experienced, you've experienced rejection, um, you've experienced all kinds of bizarre things. You've been in churches maybe where they've, they've covered up abuse. You've been in places where there's been financial corruption, where, you know, or just in general, you know, historically the church has been a place that's supported and harbored explicit racism. So Jesus people often come to be thought of as, as you know, people that aren't safe, the people are, that are judgmental, people that are a source of control and have an agenda. So... 
church doesn't always make sense and church people don't always make sense. And as we look at this passage today, just as the church's actions confuse and don't make sense for many of us and mystify people, Jesus' actions in this story as he rides in to Jerusalem confuse us and don't make sense to us. One of the first things that jumps out is the fact that Jesus seems to be riding a wave of popularity and he's going to do what people did in those days. He's going to take his leadership to the seat of power and he's going to create a rally of people around him and create real change. He's going to be the big dog. He's going to do what you got to do to change things. He's got people shouting um, and praising him as he goes in, but he's not but he's making a very clear symbolic statement. He's on a donkey as he, or a very small horse as he makes his way in, which just doesn't square with all the other expectations people has. Tim Keller puts it this way in this quote that's in your worship guide. But Jesus deliberately departed from the script and did something very different. He didn't ride in on a powerful war horse the way a king would. He was mounted on a polos, that is, a colt or small donkey. Here was Jesus Christ, the king of authoritative miraculous power, riding into town on a steed fit for a child or a hobbit. (laughs) This odd juxtaposition demonstrates that Jesus was king, but that he didn't fit the world's categories of kingship. And he continues, as he, as he continues, as you look at the story from different angles, one of the things that you see is that although he comes in with this sort of confidence, right, and his commanding nature where he's telling his followers where they'll find a, a cult and, and what to do, and it all turns out true, like he, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He comes in with this commanding, orchestrating vibe, but then at the end, it seems like he just kind of fizzles out. Like that scene in the movie Forrest Gump, where Forrest Gump has inspired all these people by running back and forth east to west across the country, and this crowd of something like 100 people is finding purpose, and, okay, yeah, we're just running. We're a run. This is great. And then also one day, the scene of Forrest just stops, turns around, says, I'm tired, and walks through the middle of the crowd, and he's done. That's kind of the feeling you get, that moment where, as the passage tells us, Jesus got into the city, looked around, And basically, all that it says is, since it was already late, he went back. Since it was already late? What kind of excuse is that? That's just a bad excuse or really bad planning. (laughs) It just doesn't, there's so much confusing in this story. It's not just us, I mean the crowd. Imagine being in the crowd. Imagine being one of the, you know, the palm wavers or whatever, as they, and just the excitement, and here we go, and then, what? What's happening? So I would say what's needed as a story is something that Christians always need as you open up the Bible to look at it and to read it, is that you need to look at this story through a filter, and the best filter probably of all, and the one that I think will resonate with you this week as we are entering into Holy Week, is the Good Friday filter. Really, if you just want the best tip of reading the Bible as a Christian is to, if you open up any story, to read it with the lens on of what Jesus has done on Good Friday. We know that, um, we know that this path we're entering into, this path that Jesus was riding a colt into, we actually know. We're not going to pretend today that we don't know where that leads. 
We know it leads towards his suffering, his arrest, his betrayal, um, his alienation, everyone disbanding and leaving him, and his yielding to this suffering and ending up on the cross. We know, and as Christians, we don't just know it and kind of puzzle over it. We know that we have been taught and that the Holy Spirit helps us believe that actually what's happening there as Jesus does that unexpected turn of events, we know that that is where we find a new identity. That's what we call the gospel. We know that is where we are remade in what some people have talked about and called the great exchange, where Jesus, part of the way to understand it is what Jesus, the Son of God, goes into a place of punishment and alienation for us that we might have the place of honor and value and identity as a child of God, as the Son of God rightfully had. We enter into that identity. This great exchange is happening that forever changes you and me and remakes us into people who can have and walk around with the confidence of being God's beloved children. That's what happens on Good Friday. I mean, an amen would be okay. I don't know what I got to do around here. Tell you, I just laid it out for you, right? No, so that's the less the Good Friday lens, right? And so we look at this through this lens, this Good Friday lens, where Christ is a victor in a different kind of way. God seems to have known that if Jesus would have became and entered in as a war hero, sitting on an actual throne instead of elevated on a cross, God seems to have known that if Jesus came in as a war hero, somebody would have had to be defeated. Somebody would have had to lose. Somebody would have had to become the other. And as the crowds of Palm Sunday were broiling with divisions, Jesus refused to go that route. As they were just teeming with concepts of the other, eager to dominate each other, because if I'm going to be the victor, then you're going to be the loser. There was men versus women. There was Jew versus Gentile. There was Judean versus Samarian. There was those of us who stayed with Jesus a little longer, those of us who abandoned Jesus immediately. There were those of us who stayed with Jesus. There were those of us who betrayed Jesus. Us, them, us, them. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the tax collectors, you know, the high priests. There was all these us and them, the Romans, the Jews. Us, them, us, them. And Jesus doesn't go that route. His, he doesn't get on a war horse. He doesn't go to a crown emblazoned with rubies and gold and silver and precious stones. Instead, his crown is a, is a cross. Or his crown is a crown of thorns. His throne is a cross. And as he's on that cross, as, as he's on that kind of a throne, his words are simple. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I don't know if you've thought about those, that statement, but that's sort of a leveling statement amidst all the divisions. It's a statement where you notice he's not designating a group who's more qualified for his forgiveness. He's not specifying where that forgiveness needs to land as opposed to that group over there. And we're just so fixated on dividing between us and them that we can't 
always enter in fully to what this means and how this changes us and how this flows through us to change the world. We continue to want to join a march and hold up a sign imagining who we're against. I'm not saying a mar- joining a march is bad. Just keep hearing me out. And Holy Week isn't leading us towards deciding who we're against. That's not where Holy Week is going to take you or me. Every single one of us, for the most part, our gut, our instinct, where we want to go, every single one of us would rather have Jesus actually on that war horse than on a donkey. If you're not ready to explore that, don't enter into Holy Week. Don't get real spiritually. Just keep it shallow and move on. But if you want to get real, you realize somewhere inside of each of us, every one of us would rather have Jesus on the war horse. Every one of us would rather that this week ends with a golden throne rather than the cross or the crown of thorns. Every single one of us would rather have Christ's words on the cross look out and say, Father, condemn. Fill in the blank. Every single one of us would rather have this week have us have, you know, the, the holy week confronting our adversary rather than that it would confront our own sin, our own absolute need to be rescued. And so instead, God uses this week to show you and me his refusal to turn on you, his refusal to turn you into an other. That is what Holy Week is to everyone. God's refusal to turn anyone into an other, into open wide the gates and say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There are no others. And you are invited this week to rediscover that powerful grace offered for you. That's what Holy Week is all about. Enter in, please, if there's ever a week. If there's ever a week that you're going to take a little extra effort and enter in to what this story means, please do it this week. The week where Christians celebrate the the most crucial sequence sequence of events told throughout this, this giant book of Scripture. Enter in. You might already have ways that you're entering in. I know a lot of people have different things they're reading during this season of Lent leading up to Easter. Some of you have regular practices, such as reading Scripture or centering prayer or Lectio Divina. Some of you don't even know what that means. You don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. But are you going to enter in in some way? Take, for example, the Gospel of Mark, one of my favorite, most concise tellings of of the Holy Week journey. I thought about it. This makes a lot of sense to me. I'm, I'm, pretty good at, I'm not that great at math, but I can figure out how many chapters there are. So we're at chapter 11 and uh, chapter 15. And, or actually, chapter 16 is the end of the Gospel of Mark. So just take, what, the next six days and just work through one chapter a day. It's not very, take a few minutes, just read through a chapter. Maybe a little moment of silence, reflect on what you're reading as Jesus makes his journey to the cross and then the empty tomb. Maybe just a little bit of the Gospel of Mark. Finish the rest of it out this week. On Friday, there's a Good Friday service that some of us are going to in Davis at our sister church. 
that started initially with Eric and Shelley were an intern at City Life Church, and they went to Davis and started a church there. They're hosting a Good Friday service. The information's in the worship guide. Use that. Orient your calendar around that. Come out and let this mark your week and your life. Enter in. It's about discovering grace. Discover a grace that remakes you from the inside out and turns, turns us into a grace-giving people, a kind of people that instinct, and this is what the gospel of grace promises, that through what Jesus has done in this week, that you and I get remade, that as a community we get remade into the ones who instinctively become those who generate connection as opposed to division, instinctively, because our whole new identity is around God making a connection rather than a division with us. So we become people who go out, whether you're marching, whether you're writing a letter, whether you're raising children, whether you're in a cubicle, whether you're a student, or whether you're retired, you go out in whatever you're doing with the instincts to bring grace and not to create others. Instinctively act like grace dispensers. Even um, as was on many of our minds this week, even as you go out to fight, injustice or enter in to the struggle you go forth building connections pouring out overflowing with grace the way jesus is going to show you that he did for you this week let's pray our god of grace may we know you as such may your holy spirit arrive and seem to be more present than ever this week as, as we as a church enter into these events, as we as a church um, draw together, sometimes in small groups, sometimes within our own household, and on Good Friday and next Sunday and Easter, would you lead us and would you show us and unwrap the gift of your grace? Because often we're too dense and uh, too distracted to open it ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name.